the gracious Duncan, asleep by the gate. Methinks I hear a voice cry, sleep no more. Marcus does murder sleep. You're a madman, you know. See, people here get flaky sometimes. Babylon 5 is like that. When you've been around longer, you'll understand. Duncan no said... crime's been committed here, Marcus. I've got nothing to go on. Nothing? Really? How odd. All this time, I thought I'd been expressing a rational and reasonable concern about the fact that an increasingly large number of people in Down Below aren't acting normally. If they were normal, they wouldn't be in Down Below. Well, thank you, Mr. Garibaldi. One of the leading minds of the 14th century. Have we no workhouses? Have we no prisons? Mr. Marley'd here like a word with you. He's the fellow in the chains. Ignore the moans, it's just gas. Don't you ever shut up? Not until I get what I want. Why, do you think silent meditation would work better? Ivanova's right. You are a pain in the ass. I can't believe this. We're sitting here. Gun pointed at our heads, walled up by alien parasites. Neither of us likely to get out of here alive. And you're thinking about making a play for Ivanova, is that right? Yeah! A bizarre life form threatens the crew. Some kind of alien parasite. Will they survive the battle for their mind? We will hurt you if necessary. On Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. back everybody out there to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast part of npr illinois community voices and the front row network we are a group of first time watchers of babylon 5 who are going through this week to week experiencing every episode just the way they did back when it aired and a group of first ones who have watched this show way more than most of us care to admit over the last 20 plus years my name is Blake. You may notice Scott, our regular host, is not here this evening. Somehow he miraculously managed to miss the recording of this landmark episode of Season 3 of Babylon 5, Exogenesis. With me tonight is... Mike. Nicole. Andrew. Emily. Justin. Jesse. And Kevin. Kevin, before we jump into your synopsis tonight, let's do one review, because we got another one in this week, a five-star review, so thank you for five stars. And it is from Miggy Mac, and it says, with JMS buzz of something big happening in the next week or so, I thought there's got to be a podcast out there about B5. I binged 12 episodes this weekend, and I'm anticipating the ride through the rest of the series. So we are still picking up new listeners who, as they see the buzz about various Babylon 5 projects, including the upcoming animated film and the potential reboot, who are jumping on board and watching and listening along with us. So welcome to all of you new listeners. Thank you for sticking with us through the early episodes as we are now in season three and going strong. Kevin, how about that synopsis? Good luck. (laughs) Franklin and Marcus have a buddy comedy investigating an outbreak of parasitic aliens and down below. 
And Ivanova almost creates an HR violation by Sheridan tasking her with determining whether Lieutenant Corwin is suitable for the conspiracy of light. And if there's one thing we love on this show, it is a good HR violation. So (laughs) cannot wait till we dive into that one. But before we get there, how about we go around and get our first impressions? Let's start out with our newbies and go to, I'm sensing Jesse has a lot to say on this one. (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing. Favorite top (laughs) probably five of all time B5 episodes that I've had the pleasure of watching so far. It took me exactly two, almost two and a half naps to get through this episode. I watched it. I started. It was giving me season one, early season one vibes. So I took a nap and I figured, you know, because back then it always helped to take a nap and go back at it. And I did it again and (laughs) had to take another nap. And I eventually got through the 45 minute episode. Um, it's not, listen, not the worst. There were some, there were some good things about this episode. Um, Duncan, that was his name, correct? Yes. Um, I really thoroughly enjoyed Duncan. I, he was such a sweet little guy. And I found myself when he was not at his table, I was like, oh, where'd he go? And I mean, it was just, it was just kind of a cool, I mean, that concept was kind of cool. It wasn't terrible. It's not my least favorite episode, but definitely wasn't on course for how I feel like season three started and hopefully it ends. And how about Andrew? Right as he takes a drink. <laughs> Perfect timing. Wait, what? Wow. It's good. I, I thought you said Emily. Because those names sound so much alike. The two. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, Emily, easy mistake. I was also barely listening. Um, so my first impressions, uh, I didn't hate it. <laughs> The whole hive mind parasite plot was pretty goofy, but I actually did enjoy the Corwin subplot. But yeah, like Jesse said, early season one vibes and yeah, it it sucked. I didn't hate it, though. (laughs) So it's going to go a different direction here. But after watching uh, the reaction to your I was barely listening, Nicole, we have to get your first impressions (laughs) and thoughts here because I know you want to say something now. Well, first off, that's just approving my point that men never listen, Scott, because he was like, oh, you're a bad person for saying that. It's just proof. I'm equal opportunity when it comes to not listening. Oh, I know. I know. I'm just saying men do it more than women (laughs) because men like to tune out women. And Nicole apparently likes to stereotype people based on their gender. But I wasn't there. So. But that's besides the point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay, so this episode, it was probably like 85% dumpster fire, 15% bright spots. There was some pretty good moments in it that made me chuckle pretty hard. I really enjoyed uh, some of Franklin's kind of lines throughout it. The Ivanova Corwin thing was funny. Marcus Ivanova thing. What's up with that there? That's going to be a thing. I'm probably going to ship them. Just going to say that now. The shady count was upped by two. This was a jam-packed episode of shit and some goodness wrapped up in it. You know, we really thought after you went on a cruise that you might have laid off the shipping for a little bit. That might have gotten out of your system, but it sounds like we're (laughs) right back with the shipping. Oh, yeah. Justin, how about your first impressions? I mean, I agree with Nicole. I give it about an 85-15 shit to decent ratio. Is it really shipping when they throw it in your face? That's my question. So I kind of have to stick up for Nicole on that one. But it wasn't honestly as bad as I was expecting. I know you guys spent the last couple of weeks trying to hype this up, that this was going to be a pretty shit episode. And it, and it was for the most part. But like episode two, 
the clone uh, attack of the clones. The last like 15 minutes kind of made up for the rest of the crap that you had to kind of go through with it. And I thought the Ivanova and Corwin story was humorous, but mostly at the end. What I guess I really kind of gravitated towards was the ethical questions that were kind of raised. Remind me the name of the Vendrazi. Is it? It's not Vendrazi. It's the name uh, the of the Vendrazi. The is that what you were going for? The uh, parasites. Yes. Uh, the Vendrazi. Okay. Okay. Uh, actually, oh, Vendrazi. I had okay. So um, I had almost right. The true nature of the Vendrazi and kind of some of the ethical questions that that kind of raised towards the later part of the episode, I actually thought was very interesting. Other than that, it was, yeah, 30 minutes of crap and then 15 minutes of actually decent episodes. So I'll look forward to talking to some of the, some more about it later. And Emily. Okay. I didn't think it was quite that terrible. Like obviously not great, but I didn't like, it wasn't as horrible as I was expecting. Um, I think what I liked about it is we actually get to learn more about Marcus and kind of who he is as a character. And he was showing that he actually connects with people and pays attention. And I was a little bit disappointed in Garibaldi for this one because Marcus is coming to him and is like, hey, there's something strange going on. And Garibaldi, who's usually like one of those people where uh, when it came to the, what, the Drazi and the fighting and he if he doesn't hear from Ivanova, then he's going to confirm with her kind of thing. Like for someone who goes that route for him not to believe Marcus felt strange. Like, I don't know. It didn't seem to fit with his overall character. Ivanova not realizing like how her proposition of meeting him for coffee (laughs) could be easily misinterpreted Mm -hmm. was kind of hilarious. (laughs) I gotta say like her being a bit oblivious was funny. So didn't love it, didn't hate it, and wasn't as bad as I was expecting. All right, let's switch over to our first ones now and get their first impressions on this for their umpteenth rewatch, because I'm sure this is a favorite we all watch many, many times. Mike? Yes, oftentimes uh, when I rewatch season three, I actually just watch this one and skip the rest. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely one of my favorites in the whole series. Um, seriously, big uh, big season one vibes in this uh, episode. It's uh, It's not great. It's not terrible. It has some interesting aspects to it, and... I'll just be the first one to put it out there that I find the character of Farkas to be equal parts humorous and endearing and insufferable, uh, much <laughs> like I think most people view me. So uh, there you go. So it's a it's a solid uh, two or three, I think. You know, Mike, the other review I was going to read kind of went that exact route, but I wasn't sure if that one had been referenced because they, they actually mentioned that... Uh, they like Mike because they disagree with you, but you bring the fire. So it's like you're you're endearing. But so, yeah, so the review kind of had you in there, Mike. Thank I you. I don't one. read anything about you on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin, your first impressions. So Blake and I were talking about this episode a few months ago, and I said, this is my least favorite of the series, and it's a complete garbage pile. And, and Blake goes, okay, it's not that bad. And after having watched it, I don't like this episode, but I'm starting to think that infection is worse. Yes. Yes. Um, Agreed. But I don't like this episode. If Marcus wasn't in this episode, I would never watch it again. Because to me, like 
the the franklin and and marcus stuff was was good and marcus had quite a few funny lines throughout this like even the ivanova uh corwin stuff the way it was done kind of felt kind of flat for me i just didn't didn't think it was funny enough the whole first part of the episode is really, really boring um, and not not particularly great. I mean, the the actor that plays Duncan, Aubrey Morris, you know, has great acting skills and really puts himself into the role. And um, I thought he was good in a bright spot. But other than other than that, I really don't like this episode. I could really do without it. I agree with what's been said. This episode really has some serious season one vibes to it. And I think even JMS acknowledges that. I'm sure we'll get into some more of his commentary later, but uh, I will say we've referenced Lurker's Guide before. And most of the JMS Speaks comments on this one are actually more or less him apologizing for this particular episode. It is definitely one of the weakest in the series, though. It is... There are two episodes in season three that have a lower one of the P5 ratings. You still have that to look forward to this season. Kevin, did you or did you not just promise me that I didn't have to watch another one of these for a quote unquote long time? I don't remember another bad episode in this season, but I'd have to look through the list. Perhaps I'm just forgetting. So let me read. So you do get one more of these, Jesse. You can tell Kevin he's a liar when we get there. Lying. Uh, I know which one it is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh we all know which one it is oh not all of us <laughs> yeah there's four of us right here that do not have it oh no i'm sorry five of us oh that's wow. gonna be fun i'm looking forward wow. to this so let's go ahead and jump into our discussion we've mentioned hr violations i know our group chat had tentacle porn brought up so we're gonna have all sorts of thoughts and opinions on this thing tonight nicole so I'm going to talk about a couple of my favorite moments uh, involving Franklin when he was talking to his machine and he's like, what the hell is this? Unknown. Blah, like he was just like kind of cursing and kind of like talking to himself and the machine kept going unknown. I, I couldn't help but laugh. It made me snort laugh. That was probably one of my favorite parts of the whole episode. His machine just kept going unknown, like no matter what he would say. Uh, so that was pretty good. And then when Marcus was asking him about Ivanova, he's like, really right now you're gonna ask me about her while we could potentially die and he's like well is there a better time than now like that whole dynamic was hilarious um and you know we give franklin a lot of shit and he's done some weird stuff but overall i always said that i've liked franklin for the most part so i thought this was a good franklin episode oh another thing he said that made me laugh was how everything comes back to either math or biology and Ivana was like, oh, don't get him started. And I was like, oh, fuck, please don't get him started. Because that sounds like a terrible conversation to listen to. <laughs> and I was um, like, please get him started. I won't hear it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not good at those things. So, but no, I just, I thought this was a good, a good, I think somebody else said it was like a good character. Like you got to see their character a little bit more. Like, obviously we got a little bit more of Franklin outside of like the med lab and remembered, oh yeah, he is a person. He is kind of funny, you know? And him and Marcus's dynamic was really good. And Marcus, I'm sorry, but he's charming as fuck. Like the insufferable thing, I could see that, but also he kind of wins you over. Like he's very charming and he's very funny. Um, So I really liked seeing not only their dynamic together because they really don't know each other at all um but also kind of seeing a little bit more insight into their characters and like 
how they are and how he was with that Duncan guy. Like Jesse said it, like I kind of loved Duncan too. When I found out the gate, I literally wrote on my piece of paper, Oh no, Duncan got the parasite sad face. <laughs> like I was so sad. I didn't want him to die, like die. But yeah, so I just, those were some of my like initial thoughts about just, I guess if we wanted to go the Franklin or Marcus route. Um, but I really, those were some of the things I actually enjoyed about the episode. And of course, the Ivanova Corwin thing, which we'll get into later. Kevin. I really enjoy Marcus. He's a fun character. I could see I could see where, you know, Mike or somebody else would say that he's a bit insufferable, but I don't know. He's got a, a bit of an Eeyore quality to him at times, but he's also he's also very funny. And he's very endearing and very charming. And that's what most people like about him, I think. JMS really likes putting characters who uh, don't seem like a natural fit or don't seem to have much to do with one another, putting them together in situations to see how how that'll go. He enjoys doing that. And, you know, this got too apparently. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And this this episode, you know, he he was writing during the filming of Day in the Strife, which uh, is funny because that was when there had been a work stoppage on the Mm -hmm. set. So JMS had to take like three or four days off, you know, from writing to deal with the work stoppage, which, you know, a couple of the producers were I think it was Copeland, I think, was, you know, finally able to, uh, you know, uh, settle. Um, so then he went back to writing and he really just, he, he, he said, I've, I lost the thread. I, he doesn't do a lot in notes, um, according to him. So, you know, he just had completely lost his train of thought with the writing of it. And he, he says he really never got back to it. So it is an interesting story behind why he apologizes for this episode, the stuff with with Ivanova and Corwin, like I said, I, I, I thought it was kind of flat, but I'll have more to say about that when we get to it. You mentioned JMS's writing style, because that's, you're right, that's one of the things he commented on in his uh, commentary on the episode. And he normally he does take copious notes, he says, on his stories and his writing. This is the one episode he didn't take notes because of just how clear it was in his head. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, he, he's usually got a ton of notes on what he's writing. Even if you read his autobiography, he talks about his writing process and some of the different projects he's worked on and the notes he's kept over the years as he's worked on them. But because he had that story so clear in his head, he just dived into this. And then, yeah, with that work stoppage uh, that they had to deal with, by the time he came back into it, he had just kind of lost the story. Um, so that's why he says he kind of thinks that the first half is the better half of the episode, because that's what he wrote when it was still kind of clear in his head. And then it uh, fell off the rails after that. Justin. That's actually kind of interesting because I feel like the second half was actually the better half of the episode from a viewer standpoint. Yeah, I guess I can agree that, you know, this was a decent episode for Marcus. Um, It kind of allowed him to kind of spread his wings a little bit. And then honestly, I think my favorite Franklin episodes are the one where he's not really in the med lab all that often. Like the one where he went down below with uh, Garibaldi. They kind of had their kind of crime you know, investigation thing. Overall, I think, yeah, I mean, Marcus did have a lot of comedy and then the whole thing with him and Ivanova just coming out of nowhere, which I kind of picked up on in, what was it? Was it the last episode or a couple episodes ago where they were on the um, the White Star together? And you can kind of see a little bit of a tension, you know, kind of building between the two at that point. But this definitely gets it out in the open. And, you know, Marcus is 
definitely interested in everything Susan has to offer. And my what I think probably my favorite scene in the episode was, you know, she's been trying to figure out when um, when Corin brought her the flowers and then he lied and said, oh, I just found him. And she let her thinks that it was Marcus who dropped off the flowers and just drops them off and says, you can keep them. And then he's like, oh, thanks. Oh, maybe this is going to work out after all. And I just actually, that was the one part of the episode I actually laughed out loud about because it's like, holy crap, now he's getting totally the wrong damn signal. And it's going to be hilarious to see how this goes forward. Jesse. So for the first time in my viewing pleasure, I had the thought of when they took um, Franklin out of the cell, I was like, oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm not ready for Franklin to die yet. <laughs> and that was surprised me because I was like, you know, I think the guy, I don't know, last season, I was like, hopefully the main character to die is not um, anybody but Franklin. And then Marcus, uh, he's not my favorite. Again, this is, I feel like I just don't like change. And I feel like every single time we see somebody new, I'm like, yeah, no, I, I don't like this person. But he gives me serious, I know we've said this before, but he gives me serious men in tights vibes. Like, I just, I, I don't know if it's his hair or his outfit or his like accent or what it is, but I just, I'm, I'm struggling with it. It's very like, I don't know. It's very, we are men. Man, he, he does remind me of the guy that played uh the sheriff of Rottingham and in, in Men in <laughs> Right. And you guys think yes, he does. About that. I can't unsee it. You can't unsee so. it now. Oh yeah. my god, Jesse. God, <laughs> you're right. You're, yeah. you're right. <laughs> Speaking of men in uh, tights, Justin, you said you had a follow-up comment you want to make. <laughs> yeah, I kind of had the same reaction as Jesse did when they were pulling Franklin out. I was even um, when I was kind of, you know, go watching it, I was like, oh, crap, they're going to like, are we going to be able to trust Franklin again? Like they're going to drop a parasite on him. And now Marcus is not going to be able to trust him. And we're, we're not going to know whether or not he's actually Franklin or just parasite, you know, brainworm Franklin. Like and it's I kind of had a lot of those same thoughts. Emily, um, I thought it was interesting that we didn't see Franklin use stems. Because a few episodes ago, he was having problems with using stems frequently. And in this episode, it seemed like they were away long enough that it may have come up or should have come up if it was still an issue. Um, I think some of that, though, I mean, when you think about the nature of addicts and addiction, I mean, they have good days, they have bad days. And JMS commented on this as well. And says any abuser of substances has moments when he's up, moments when he's down, moments when he seems fine, and moments when he's not. So I I think that's, you know, JMS is writing that in, that there's going to be times we don't necessarily see it, but that doesn't also mean the problem's gone away either. Yeah, and I was wondering about that. Like, does it mean it's he's working on it? Is Had he taken some recently before, like, their little escapades started? He didn't seem to be struggling with that as an issue while they were held hostage, so to speak. Well, before Scott yells at me, I'm going to say, we'll discuss the rest of that beyond the rim. Y'all have fun with that. <laughs> what I, don't, was... I don't want to pull a Kevin. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mike, what have you got? Oh, I was just going to add to to build on what Emily was saying about Franklin and his stimulus. Um the whole reason he actually agreed to go on the little adventure with Marcus was because he like had an hour of downtime, which seems to be a bit of a shift from where we saw him at before, where he was working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, you know, maybe that has a, a, a 
an effect on his usage as well. Um, but uh, I, I, do we want to drill into the, this aspect of the story with the parasite aliens? Because <laughs> you're ready to talk about this. Or do we just well, want to I keep mean, talking about Marcus? <laughs> Mike, far be it for this podcast not to like anything to have to do with drilling. So go right ahead. <laughs> I mean, oh, I, I guess I'll clear the air here and say that, like, I feel like this is some variation on a sci-fi trope that appears in different series. It's appeared in Trek mm-hmm. for sure. It's it's out there somewhere in Star Wars, I'm sure. Um, and I don't know what it is about how it just it falls so flat in this episode but it does it's very unbelievable in the way that it's done even though it's maybe technically kind of a neat idea and one that's maybe tried and true in the arena of sci-fi i'll tell you one totally off the cuff thing that takes me out of this is the fact that when they name the aliens as the Vindrizi, i don't know why but it sounds like a prescription medicine and i could not get that <laughs> out of my head for the rest of the episode so we will now be coming up with uh, side effects for Vindrizi yeah. for the rest of the episode that we well, can just well it's worth it's worse than that because at the end of the episode, Franklin gets on board with it. And so it's like, okay, you can continue infecting people, but you must consult your physician and make sure that Vindrizi is right for you. <laughs> the Vindrizi ep- episode may cause narcolepsy. You stole Jesse. my goddamn joke, Mike. You stole my goddamn joke. Wow. Anything else, Mike? Nope. <laughs> Justin, please tell me we're going to talk about more of Andreezy drilling and drugs. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I would agree that most of the story with the Vendrizi is exactly. I don't I don't actually have a good word for it, to be honest with you. But the I guess what I found kind of be the most interesting was the part towards the end where they actually revealed their true nature and how they they're a species that just records the lives of different species and all of the events of the galaxy and and stuff like that were almost to become, I guess the best thing I could kind of come up with it as a comparison would be the watchers in the Marvel universe of how they're just, they just watch and experience. And they've built this data bank of 500,000 years of living through different species and just experiencing life in all of its different forms. And I thought that was actually really freaking cool. And it, kind of made me, you know, appreciate all of the other stuff in quotation marks that we kind of had to go through uh, to get to that point. I'll save kind of the rest of what I have to say for questions and predictions, but I honestly, like, that was one of the most parts of the episode that I enjoyed actually thoroughly because it it was actually kind of fun. It was, you know, mind-boggling just to be like the wealth of knowledge and then even like poor Duncan, the sadness that he experienced when the the symbiote symbiote i guess is a good term for it yeah. the parasite symbiote but when that was removed from him he was actually really sad and he he loved experiencing what he was like all of all the past lives of the people that kind of that symbiote was in contact with before him and even the fact that they target the people who have no hope who are the wretched who are the the outcasts they want it to be voluntarily. They don't want to take over people against their will. So it kind of just took that whole the whole timeline of that episode and just flipped it on its head. And I thought that was kind of cool the the way that they did that. Kevin, Justin, that's exactly what JMS was going for. He wanted to uh, flip it on its head and make it 
so that it was, you know, less predictable than, you know, other science fiction that have done, you know, parasite trope. Um, I, I just, you know, the, the episode was, had lost me by the point that they got to the good, you know, to the, to the end part of it. So I, I'm just not a fan, but, um, this isn't the first time that Babylon five has gone into, you know, a, a race or group that, uh, you know, is, is taking the knowledge and, you know, and saving it. And because they did this with the techno mages and geometry of shadows in season two, it's same kind of idea um, because, you know, we know that there is a darkness coming and I do find that kind of interesting, um, you know, and at least, you know, Duncan was cured and he was going off to do something a lot more fun than, you know, s- sitting around selling stuff that people don't want being sick. So that's not the worst thing in the world, but um, y- yeah, I, the this episode just fell falls very flat for me unfortunately andrew kind of going off of what mike was saying about how the whole idea behind these parasites like it's nothing new but uh to me it kind of was pretty strikingly strikingly similar to uh the marvel symbiotes like a venom and carnage all that uh just with the whole um if the the host isn't like a match uh then the host just dies uh like that whole concept yeah, I thought that was also pretty interesting that uh the fact that these uh these guys that were creating these whatever you want to call them the the hosts for uh the symbiotes uh sorry the the hamsters t- having a hard time staying on the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> is is that one of the side effects of uh Vendrizi that the hamster mm-hmm. got off the wheel? Yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but anyway, come back to me. <laughs> okay. It's been a long day. <laughs> well, well, hold on. The- the guy, the guy in the beginning, didn't die because he was incompatible with the with the the symbiote. He died because he was full of space cocaine. Oh yeah. <laughs> in other words, kids, don't yeah. mix your drugs. That's quitter talk. <laughs> wow. Okay. Like I said, the hamster hit back die. on the wheel, or are we just moving on now? Yeah, just just move on. Nicole, please save this shit show. My only gripe of listening to what Justin and Kevin and everybody was saying, my only gripe is who are they to decide who like the people who are at the bottom or lost or the dregs of society? Like, how do you know just because someone's poor and living in the down below and selling shit? What like, how do you know that they're like miserable? Do you know what I mean? Like, I thought it was very elitist of them to like decide who oh, well, you're a piece of shit, so we're going to choose you. You know what I mean? You have nothing better in your life. But like, so that would be my only question or gripe, I guess, is like, who the fuck are they to decide who is a dreg of society and who has no future and who's a loser or whatever to like, oh, okay, you could be the host. Like, I, I just thought it was very like, it reminded me of like, oh, well, it's okay that person's a piece of shit anyway. So if they die or they can't handle it, oh, well, no big loss. Like, it's almost like testing on humans. You know what I mean? Like, if you test like makeup on an animal, like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what it, the vibe it gave me. So I thought that was a little skeezy and kind of, kind of shitty. Um, but that was just, just me, my take on that. Well, they, they did say in the episode that they gave the people the choice and that they chose this way. But the only thing... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what else did they have? Like, that's the thing is like they picked, oh, I know you have nothing. So let me dangle this carrot in front of you. Like, it's like they're dangling a carrot in front of you. Like, oh, come on, little mouse. I know you have nothing else. Let me get you here. You know, like, I just thought it was kind of shitty. I didn't like it. Well, 
Well, they make them an offer. It's it's really no different as to if I mean it's been done in other movies. I mean, God, look at Trading Spaces with Eddie Murphy. You know, yes, yeah. it was done for nefarious reasons, but they find somebody, they make him an offer, being like, "Hey, I've got a way." You know what, Duncan? Yeah. You look like you're not feeling well. You know, what if I told you that you can have this ability to he- not only heal yourself, but contribute to something larger than yourself, you know, yeah. and and you won't have to live this life anymore. You, you want to take it. And, and and at the end of the day, it, it actually seems from the episode that the final choice was theirs. Yeah. Like it and, was voluntary. Yeah, so like and, I don't yeah. I don't fault the species at all. Because, yeah, they were really shady and skeevy, it seemed like, to begin with. But it turns out that their motives were actually pure. But and I get what you're saying, and I I do agree with that to an extent. I just to me, it seemed a little predatory, you know, so it's like, how do you trust that they're actually pure if it's they're being predatory with who they choose to be? their hosts. That's the only gripe that I had. Like, it just seemed a little too predatory to me. And like, I could just be looking into it a little too much, but it just gave me like MLM vibes. Like, come join my pyramid scheme. Like, like <laughs> you know, let me show you how Amway can work for you. No, oh boy. but I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't, I guess, you know, we're all different with you, Nicole. And, you know, you know, I love you after decades of friendship, but I just, I just don't view it as predatory to offer somebody on the down and out something better. Yeah. And we can totally have a different view on that. I just, it was yeah. just something I picked up, you know, like your points are valid too. And I see that as well. And I, I guess I could see that, but I, I just, to yeah, me, sure. it felt icky and I didn't like it. I get it though. I get it. It does also seem to create a plot hole because, you know, if, invariably someone's going to say you know that doesn't sound like for me and then you know no one knows about this thing it's like if you're offered a a parasite in your back you know to be a symbiote with you i think i'd probably tell somebody if i said you know i don't think that's for me hey by the way there's this weird thing going on down below maybe you should check that out uh, garibaldi would listen anyway well yeah clearly <laughs> The other thing that I thought was funny when when uh, it was only Marcus in the jail cell, did you notice how there either wasn't a lock on the door or they hadn't used it? Because you're just like all of a sudden, boom, and then he's going after the other guy. It's like, wow, come on. It, like It was unlocked the whole time. Apparently. <laughs> so bad. I mean, who hasn't done that to their dog in the kennel, though? Yeah. <laughs> Just close the door and don't latch it and see how long they stay in there. <laughs> it takes ours about two seconds to figure that out. <laughs> um, I don't, uh, I guess to, to build on Nicole's point, I actually, this, I don't, I don't necessarily, I, I don't, I don't know if predatory is the right word, but I totally see where she's coming from on this. And I guess backing up to look at the wider scope of some of the other things we've seen in B5, I do feel like JMS is very big on, on judging people. Because we've also had the soul hunters who decide who's worthy of being saved and who's not. And I feel like there have been some other things as well. Uh, aliens that come out and scan you and decide whether you're smart enough to live or die and things like that. Uh, so this whole Ventrezi thing is kind of the same deal in my mind. And it, and it does feel scummy. Uh, it's also really stupid, if I might <laughs> point that out. So the Ventrezi's whole mission is to survive until the end of time when all the books are burnt and people need knowledge. So they go out and they attach themselves to the poorest, sickest people with no money and no healthcare and no prospects. Come on. And no fucking way. Life. What's no, wrong with that? 
no fucking way. They're surrounded by violence in the worst part of the universe. And their likelihood for surviving is very poor. <laughs> very poor. Justin. Well, I guess that brings me up to the next point that I kind of wanted to bring up was an interesting ethical dilemma that I observed uh, when Franklin was being forced to try and save one of their members who had fallen ill. And that's when you kind of discover that the that that the Vendrizi are kind of a dying race. And, you know, what is what is the ethical responsibility of someone to, you know, people are being taken over by this parasite, but then this parasitic race is dying. What is their ethical responsibility to try and save it? And the only way to save it is to give it more human hosts or more hosts in general, not necessarily human, I guess, but and I kind of thought that was an interesting dilemma. Like, where is the fine line between having to, you know, save the host who's having a rejection of this parasite versus having to save the race itself from possible extinction? I guess I'm on the Vendrizzi side of this, apparently, from the discussion that's been going on this evening. And I think maybe that's when Franklin, I guess, maybe partially started to come around because knowing that he has a responsibility as a doctor to try and save a dying race. And I think maybe that's kind of what led him to partially agree to at the end to monitor and supervise the symbionts is to try and keep the race alive. But honestly, I don't, I don't know. I guess I just don't see kind of maybe if their methodology was flawed, but I don't think at the end of the day, they were necessarily wrong. Yeah. I think, I think their cause was maybe noble, mm-hmm. but I think they're doing it very poorly. And I also think they're racist because they were only in humans. (laughs) Well, we don't know that, but they've experienced many different races from what they were telling throughout their history over the past 500,000 years. So maybe they're inhabiting humans now, but they've inhabited lots of different aliens over the course of history. Don't take this away from me. They're definitely racist. (laughs) (laughs) Racist space bugs. So now that we've talked about parasites, we've lost Kevin. Who wants to talk about Ivanova and human resources? No, no, no. We need to talk about Mr. Garibaldi. <laughs> oh, we'll get there, but we're going to take okay. a detour into human resources okay. land first. Nicole, I saw your hand shoot up there. Okay. I love Ivanova, as we all know, but man, girl's got no game. Like, she just doesn't get it. Like, first of all, she basically propositions Corwin and he where at least that's the vibe he gets. And then with the whole Marcus thing, like you can keep him, you know? So now he's going to think like, you know, she's into him. I just, it made me laugh. Like she's so like bright and smart and astute and beautiful and awesome, but girl's got no game. I love her to death, but <laughs> it just, it just made me laugh. And uh, obviously she was trying to find out about Corwin um, if he was like trustworthy or not, but yeah, it it just it just made me chuckle. Like I was like, oh no! Like two times, I was like, girl, get your game a little stronger. Yeah, I just I just feel like the way that JMS wrote it, it's a little insulting to the Ivanova character that she, you know, just didn't couch this as you know a a uh, career conversation with um, a subordinate officer, younger officer. Listening to her her talk about. You know, hey, you know, come to my quarters. Yeah, I guess I can kind of see that. But it just there wasn't enough humor to make it interesting to me. It just seemed like it was 
it was an interesting, you know, dive into Corwin a little bit. He seems like a really innocent, nice kid, but not all that interesting until the end, which was kind of funny. I grew with Justin, but, um, you know, that it just, it didn't seem like Ivanova would handle it in the way that she did just for plot convenience. Justin, are there not military regulations against dating your subordinate officers, for one? I thought kind of the fact that he would even, well, I guess, I guess thinking about it, I can't necessarily blame him for thinking the way that he did, but I guess the way he presented it and, you know, went through all the trouble of buying the roses. And then as soon as he shows up and hands them to her, lies about where they came from and won't even own up to the fact, oh, hey, you know what? I got these for you. Thanks for inviting me over. Like, it didn't even have to be a romantic thing. He could have just played it off being, oh, hey, you know what? I appreciate you inviting me over. Here's a house plan or something like that. Like, and I thought that the kind of the back and forth between them was kind of pretty entertaining. But with the whole thing with him, I'm not 100% sure he's not trustworthy. Like, I know at the end, she went and she reported to Sheridan and basically just kind of just shook her head. And you can see kind of the disappointment in his face and stuff like that. But I'm not 100% convinced that he wasn't telling her what she think or, or, or what he thought she wanted to hear. I haven't 100% ruled Corwin out, but the evidence against him isn't good. You know, so if he's going to tell on everybody, then, of course, they have to be careful and it just kind of sucks where you have to have in that day and age of Babylon five, you have, you can't even trust the people you're serving alongside. That's what's kind of really irritating with me with the whole thing, which 100% I get it because, you know, woohoo, red yarn and tinfoil hat person here, but it just sucks. And I feel bad for the rest of the crew, but I kind of really hope Corwin comes around. Well, I think you get to a point there, Justin, with why this show is so endearing to people still and why so many still follow it is it shows a humanity that's flawed where you can have these differences in people that serve together, just like we do now. I mean, there's people, right? I'm sure, serving alongside each other in the armed forces now or in even law enforcement units who don't necessarily trust the people that they're serving alongside for various reasons. Uh, so I, again, I think that's why this show still resonates 30 years later is because of that flawed nature of humanity and the way it's portrayed. Mike. Yeah, it's realness. And that's kind of what I get yeah. with it. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me, the part of this, this part of the plot in this episode falls really flat for me. And I think it's it, probably a little bit on a personal level, just because it feels like a subject that should be super serious in the climate of, of what's going on at b5 you know bringing somebody into your conspiracy with, with a very high stake high stakes conspiracy and instead the whole thing comes off as like a comic relief plot and it's just not it doesn't feel right to me like and that's the best way I can sum it up is it just doesn't feel right. And it's not given really any kind of quality time or dialogue because let's face it, like Ivanova invites him to her quarters, which is just goofy anyway. And then their conversation more or less consists of her going, so how you feel about snitching? <laughs> like, and he's like, Oh, I would a hundred percent snitch. And she's like, cool, 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 cool. I'll, I'll see you later. And that's it. And then there's like the head nod and like, that's all you know about it and it's just it's goofy like it doesn't it doesn't come off at all with the 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 level of seriousness that it should have 
Yeah, you said it way better than I did, Mike. The other thing I'd mentioned is that they spend quite a bit of the scene talking about how incredibly uh, rare and uh, valuable the coffee is. And then there, he's had probably three sips of it. It was like, okay, well, get out. And he's <laughs> G- they both leave. GTFO. Three, three quarters of a cup of coffee just chilling. It's like, what? Okay, I, I'm still going to bring this up again, though, because that, that is one of my annoyances with this show, is they talk about they can't get shit there. You know, did we've seen them jump to other places before, and it's usually within a few days for long-distance trips. I mean, seriously, do they not have a goddamn freight line somewhere? I mean, yeah, it should not be that hard. I mean, goddamn, how long is Folger sat on a truck before it ends up on the shelf at the freaking Walmart? <laughs> and, and who in this weird space universe doesn't consider coffee to be an essential? Yeah, oh, right. If, the, if coffee's not essential in the Babylon 5 universe, fuck that. I'm going to Star Trek. They this have is, if this is a military <laughs> installation, I guarantee you there's coffee and cigarettes somewhere there. I mean, if they had made it so that it was extremely rare, like they did on Fringe, if they had if they had spent a lot of time doing that, it would probably be a lot, a lot more believable. But I agree with you, Blake. It, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And if you don't have sun to help you wake up because, you know, circadian rhythms, then how are you going to survive without your fucking coffee? At least well, without my biggest a homicidal com- maniac. Yes, Justin. Well, yeah. Well, and my biggest complaint with it is this is a five-mile-long station. Can you not have a farm in this motherfucker somewhere? Well, they do. Some they can't use more than, you know, a patch of one-by-one-inch uh, one for a little bit of coffee every every once in a while. But, 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 but I'm saying, like, you would think this would be planned in to, like, this is a, this is a, a massive station. Don't you think that they would plan to be like, okay, we'll allow this area for cows, this area for chickens, this area for you know, meat cows and dairy cows? You know, I, I just, I just think, I just always find it hard to believe. Oh, you can't get a good steak. Why not? Can't you have a couple damn cows on the station? Like, it's the methane problem, Justin. Emily, you broke up really bad. You can vent that shit to space. What did literally. you say? Which government agency planned it to not have coffee? <laughs> right. Same right. one that took Mountain Dew out of schools. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going anywhere without coffee. I don't give a shit where it is. And, and Justin's right. There's a hell of a lot of open space in the middle of that big cylinder. Oh, right. yeah. Put some shelves in. <laughs> they could have a farm. Like some stadium possible. seating. Yeah, something. Well, and you know, you make a really good point, Mike. Uh, which you didn't vocalize, but that that's probably why Franklin is is on stims because it doesn't have ca- caffeine. It makes every bit of sense. That's really funny. So I will say that is one thing I definitely have grown to enjoy about living in the Pacific Northwest. There's stims. just about a coffee spot every other block. <laughs> stims. <laughs> Blake's over in Blake's over on the wet, you know, up, up up in the Northwest Coast, snorting space cocaine. You know, I'm right. We are. All right, we have talked Parasites, we have talked Franklin, we've also talked Ivanova, Human Resources, and Lieutenant Corwin, and we have also managed to talk Rangers, Men in Tights. Do we have anything else we want to talk about in regards to Exogenesis before we get into your questions and predictions? Garibaldi. I see a hand and a Garibaldi, so Mike, tell us what you got on Garibaldi. Here we go. Here's what I got. When there's something strange in the down below, (laughs) who are you going to (laughs) call? Not Mr. Garibaldi, apparently. <laughs> Don't you besmirch my friend, Mr. Garibaldi. He was slacking. 
He I just hated it. He, he just flat out didn't give a fuck. Yeah. He doesn't he have like, five minutes. He's no. like, I'm going to go eat this orange and be smarmy somewhere. I'll see you later. <laughs> in an elevator. He's like, talk to Franklin. I don't have time for this shit. Ain't, ain't nobody got time for that. He can't. He, yeah, he can't ride those elevators looking for Talia anymore. Well, he is good at being smarmy, so... I don't know. I don't have anything serious to say about it. It was just too good to pass up. But yeah, it was a disappointing character moment because he's like, he's supposed to be good guy super cop, and he's like, oh, weird stuff? Yeah, I don't give a shit. He's like, well, Fuck my, off. That's why yeah. he's discount Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Anything else before we jump into questions and predictions? Because I know you've got to all have some burning questions after this one. Which, by the way, if it is burning, Vendrizi may help relieve your symptoms. We don't know. Let's go to Emily first. I have nothing. No questions, no predictions. This episode did not inspire much at all. Okay, let's go then to Andrew. I have three. One question, two predictions. So first question, who is Ranger 1? they do mention a ranger one in one of marcus's conversations i'm assuming it's sinclair but could always be wrong and then first prediction uh marcus and ivanova will get together sorry nicole beat you to it <laughs> and uh now that corwin has per- like inadvertently identified himself as a liability to their cause sheridan will have to now find a way to get corwin removed from his post to eliminate him as as a liability. Nicole, questions and predictions. Yeah, Andrew, that's harsh. <laughs> I would say my only question is what is going to become of these host people with the parasite? Um, are we going to see them again? Are they going to become a problem? Were their intentions really pure? Are they going to try to take over the world? Are they going to align with the shadows? Are they part of the shadows? What the fuck is up with them? And then I guess... My only predictions is I almost think Corwin is going to become a Nightwatch groupie and be one of we one of those like Earther, Boy Scout, Yahoo, Earth. I take this very seriously. So I don't think he'll get removed, but I think there'll be a problem. He'll either join Nightwatch or there definitely will be a conflict. So because he seems so nice and sweet, but he's not in the main credits, so he can go. Jesse. I don't have shit. Okay. <laughs> Now let's go to our taker of copious notes, who I'm sure has at least a volume on this episode. Justin, what do you got? If a volume means um, one to two pages of notes, which is like 10% of my usual volume, then yeah, sure, I get a whole ton of shit. But anyway, so question, kind of a statement slash question. These guys have been around for 500,000 years. They have to know something about the shadows. What do they know? What do they know about the shadows? They have to have experienced them before. So prediction number one, that Vendrizi become actually a point of information contact within the, within the inner circle. I think they will actually start to share information with the kind of quote unquote war cancel about what they know about the shadows and how to maybe defeat them based upon how they were maybe defeated in the past. And then prediction number two, I think actually they will turn Corwin to their side. He's, he seemed very waffly through a lot of the episode, and especially with uh, Ivanova's discussion with him, that I think they'll eventually turn them to hit, to uh, to their side. Even if he's not there now, he eventually will be on their side. So that's it for me. 
All right, I think that is everybody for our questions and predictions. So this is part of the show now where we throw all of the newbies out the airlock and we question answer all of their questions and predictions beyond the rim where what I can say is some of you will be right, some of you will be wrong, some of you will find out we've been gaslighting you all along. Maybe. We can't say for sure. We'll talk about it more beyond the rim. Again, I am Blake, and with me has been... Somebody who's been very disappointed by the lack of talk about tentacles, Mike. <laughs> Nicole. Andrew. Emily. And Mike, you actually could have brought that up if you really wanted to talk about it. But this was Justin. Everyone else said it in the group chat, and nobody brought it up. I didn't feel it was my place. Emily let us all down. She did not bring up the tentacle porn. Sorry, you guys didn't give me a good segue into it. I thought you'd talk about, like, the creepy little tendrils on the aliens, but nope. We, talk, we talked about an invasive parasite that you couldn't work it in. It's not our problem. She literally talks about tentacle porn, like, every other day in the group chat. But today, when it's <laughs> halfway relevant. The fact that you couldn't work it in is not our problem. Let's have sink in. I think tentacles could work. But that... Put that on a t-shirt. Jesse! <laughs> and Kevin. And God knows Sorry, why Scott. still listening to us, but this has been the Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can follow us on all of your podcast apps of choice. We are also available on YouTube if you want to watch the YouTube version. Or, again, listen to the audio version. And we do appreciate if you leave us a five-star review. Again, God knows why, but please, we love it when you do. That is it for the first half of the show. So let's get all these newbies out of here and we will see you back beyond the rim. All right, y'all. Right. <laughs> Scott's going to hate us. <laughs> Whenever somebody misses, we should have somebody randomly like imitate them in the opening <laughs> and end credits. Oh, God. <laughs> and I'm Scott. <laughs> oh, that's staying in. Scott, leave that in. <laughs> and I'm like, yuck. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast, Beyond the Rim. If you are new to Babylon 5 and have not watched past the seminal episode Exogenesis, please stick with the show. It does get better from here for the most part. But if you've not watched past this and do not want to get spoilers, go ahead and drop off now. If you don't care about spoilers or have realized this episode doesn't spoil a goddamn thing, go ahead and feel free to stick around as we go through our newbies' questions and predictions. So first up... Who is Ranger 1, which clearly they're not paying attention because this has been answered. Yeah. Uh, we we know that it's JMS. 
Uh, we find out <laughs> at the end of the season, at the series, that uh, it's revealed that JMS is Ranger One. He's written himself into the story. What you're actually seeing is is the, the novel Babylon Five as he's writing it. You, you know, it's funny you say that, but he did get asked in an interview about <laughs> Jeffrey Sinclair and John Sheridan, and his response was, "Occasionally, I sign my work." Uh, but yes, Ranger <laughs> One is Jeffrey Sinclair. Yeah, I don't know how that was missed i in i thought about saying we should answer that during the show but i don't know it annoys them more when we do it here yeah okay that's fine with me what is going to become of the vendrizi we don't see them again right i really leave until they got to justin i thought they had all learned this point because it used to be that they would all ask like what happens to these people that were the aliens of the week and now only justin does it yeah yeah definitely for the most part a bottle episode big time yeah, and, and even JMS said th- this was a season one or two type episode and that they're really getting away from like the red herrings and the distractions and focusing more on the main story. One thing I do think is interesting, just a side note, and I should have brought it up in the main episode, but when they were quoting Shakespeare, you notice they went out of their way not to say Macbeth, right? <laughs> and they did that apparently because the all the superstition around saying that, which neither Jason Carter uh, or Aubrey Morris have that superstition but just they didn't say it on the set but there will be an episode later on that has michael york in it and someone i believe they said it was one of the uh makeup artists or hair uh, specialists that made a comment about Macbeth and michael york's presence and he made him do like the whole superstition ritual uh to clean (laughs) the stage of the Macbeth curse a late delivery from avalon which is also not a particular favorite of mine see i like that one yeah, I, I like Michael York, but it just, nah. I guess, I guess these kind of bottle-ish episodes, you know, at this point in the se- series really make me kind of crazy. Like, I just want to get to the, to the heart of the matter. Yeah, I'd be okay if there was a bottle-ish story that still did something or, mm-hmm. or if at least the B-plot continued to, mm-hmm. to go somewhere. And I mean, you could argue that the B-plot in this one was meaningful but it's not and yeah. it's poorly done <laughs> yeah so what do the vendrizi know about the shadows doesn't matter they won't be back anyway right. and, and the answer is nothing because they've attached themselves to homeless people that can't go anywhere <laughs> i mean they really should you know it was it was a good question because they should know something but yeah not something they ever get into not ever something that's uh that's brought up again it's a bottle episode well and that even came up in some of the commentary about you know once they knew about the vendrizi and their background is why would there not have been a conversation or something with them to discuss why to discuss what they could know about the shadows or what they might be able to tell people about it and yeah just kind of one of those yeah the episode writing just wasn't there well yeah i mean i guess you could assume that some conversation did happen sheridan at some point gets looped in about the existence of Vendrizi, and somebody probably talked to them and they were like i don't know (laughs) there's actually a little interesting tidbit which i should have given during the main show but so that that first uh that first scene with the Vendrizi going into the guy that ended up dying they they shot that and the the director um you know ended up making that a lot more gruesome than it was 
And I guess one of the producers told the director, Kevin Kremen, to back it off because he was like, man, you're you're into like serious body horror. I'm not sure that that the uh, that the censors are going to not give us a hard time with this. So he he ended up having to back it off. He's like, it's just a, a, a matter of once you watch the same thing over and over again and know all the specific you know pieces of the shots and and the. Um, the special effects that you become very numb to it. And so, you know, he said, you really need somebody to come in and be like, okay, you need to put the brakes on this. Yeah. And I bet, I I guess I wonder if that was a deliberate decision too, because, you know, this show is really good at kind of doing the juxtaposition thing. And and that would have been one of those cases where they show you right out of the gate that there's this like really horrifying process of, of melding that happens. But then later you find out they're actually on the good side. That was exactly JMS's approach there. He wanted to turn it on its head, just like he, like you said, Mike, he's done it other times in the show. So moving on to predictions, uh, Marcus and Ivanova, Ivanova will get together. She doesn't even boff him. Yeah. I mean, she is not particularly interested. And then by the time she kind of realizes the level to which he is in love with her, it is way too late to go down that road. And then some well, it's not. Stuff. It's just really creepy. I was saying, then there's some weird, creepy stuff that happens in extended canon, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go read the internet. Ivanova will turn Corwin to their side. There's no really turning. Corwin is on their side. Yeah, he he's a good guy. And yeah, he he thinks he's all for Earth and he is. But, you know, when when you realize, you know, after the next few episodes that, you know, the Babylon five command crew is a lot more for Earth than Earth is, um, you know, after the battle, there'd be five because Ivanova looks and goes, are you all right? And he goes, I think so. Yeah, he stays. Yeah, and he's surprised even at himself, but he's he's fine because he knows the stakes. He's not a stupid stupid character at all. And wow. same thing with um, uh, with Zach in a, in a very different way. They all come to the you know, or most of them come to the same conclusion, at least from the the, the main cast. Mm-hmm. So- Corwin will be removed from his post to eliminate the liability to their cause. Nope, nope. They'll just remove security. It's fine. Yeah. Which leads to Cor- Corwin will become a Nightwatch groupie. Nope. No. Yeah, no no conflict with Corwin. He is uh he is no drama Corwin. Now that will be a storyline that after they break away there there's a whole sub there's a whole storyline in a couple episodes about uh saboteurs and others that are still loyal to Nightwatch and Earth that stick around on the station. Sure. But it's not Corwin involved in that. No. And the Ventrezi will become a point of contact for the B5 War Council. Yeah, no. Nope. <laughs> we don't see them again. Nope, they just go hang out in some homeless camp somewhere. <laughs> we don't see and them any more than we see the uh, Lumonatis again. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything we're missing from this from this episode? Other than it's not great. A 45 minutes of our life that we'll never get back <laughs> Man, some of those Marcus lines in this episode are so funny. And that's really the only thing that I find endearing about this episode. I think the only thing to bring up, and I'm surprised none of the newbies keyed onto it, and maybe they just thought it was a throwaway. Marcus is waiting on a package from Mars. Oh, yeah. That That is the one little piece of this episode that 
you know, does play into the bigger arc is it's, it's mentioned Marcus is waiting on a package from Mars. And I'm surprised none of them that like to pick up on the small asinine details picked up on that because that's going to be a big thing. I mean, that's going to be the next episode. You've got the uh, IPX uh, researcher from Mars who knows that they found one shadow ship on Mars. Mm-hmm. And now there's another one on what is it? Ganymede? Yeah. So, and then they take the white star to go blow the shit out of it. So, right. Yeah. I, from this point on, for the most part, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. The, and the only episode that's worse than this in the season that really everyone hates is gray 17. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't hate that one as much as a couple of these others, but. All right. Sorry, anything else we want to talk about with exogenesis? No, thank you. Nope. <laughs> Well, then there we have it. That has been our Beyond the Rim segment tonight for Gray 17. Again, I am Blake, and with me has been... Mike. And Kevin. And fuck you, Scott, for finding a way not to be on for this shit show. <laughs> Ivanova's right. You are a pain in the ass. Ignore the moans. It's just gas.